clap. Go ahead, right there. It's good. Go ahead. Hey, uh, we good here, buddy? All right, we on? Because it's not, I can still yell loud. You all know me, right? You can hear me anyway. Uh, all right, um, first of all, let me just share with you something that's uh, been a huge blessing to me this week, all right? Uh, for 25 years in youth ministry, I like to reach out to kids who maybe made church people nervous, right? And I could never figure out a way to integrate them. For the first time in my ministry career, I'm involved with a church that not only is willing to have, but loves the fact that we have a row of nightlife kids in the front. So I want to thank you guys as a church for loving them. Uh, it's, not, it's not that I don't love you guys, but I really like it when they're here. So, right? Nightlife, word, give it up. Word. They drink like 40 cups of coffee each every Sunday morning. So when there's no coffee back there, it's their fault. But thank you as a church for loving them and thank you for allowing them to be a part of our worship experience. Um, just to guys to let you know, this week is the next to the last lesson in James. Uh, this passage, again, just like the, most of them, is pretty rough. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But next week is going to be a very special week. We're going to be discussing what do we do with all this harshness. And James gives an incredible opportunity for healing and restoration. And we're going to have a worship service next week that is very unique. It's very different. You're going to be kind of surprised how different it is. And I want to invite you to make sure that you're here. Invite some friends to come. It's a great opportunity, especially if you've been here throughout the series in James and God's been dealing with your heart on some things. This is going to be a great opportunity to respond to that. So I'm very excited about that. And then the week after that, I told you we're going to start a new series called Fun with Prayer. <clears throat> and we're going to try to reshape how you look at prayer. Some of you might think you have a horrible prayer life. In reality, you might have a really good one because only maybe 4 or 5% of prayer is, the, is with head bowed and eyes closed, right? Because if we're really supposed to pray without ceasing and our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're bumping into stuff all the time. And maybe that's why Tammy Amy trails so bad. Maybe everybody's praying without ceasing. <laughs> Something for everyone. I like candy. Don't you like candy? See all that chocolate up there? It's all calorie-free. <laughs> Just kidding. But if you look up there, there's probably something for each one of you, right? There's Almond Joy, <coughs> and there's Pink Almond Joy next. I don't know what the deal with that is, but there's some sort of... And then there's a Green Almond Joy. So, like, if you don't like the Blue Almond Joy, there's two different colors. I don't know what the deal is with that. But I see some, some Look Look there in the corner. I see the Uno. Big Hunk. That's my candy bar right there, the Big Hunk. Uh, Charleston Chew, uh, we got Chunky, can't go wrong with Chunky, and we got some Sweet Tarts, we got some Hershey's, we got a bunch of things. Something for everyone. Well, today's message has something for everyone. Unfortunately for you, it's not candy. <clears throat> Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that, you, that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Another warm, friendly greeting from James. <coughs> you have laid up your treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, 
and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. That's the first half of the passage. I know it's small, but I'll read it for you as best I can if you can't follow along. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, stable, persevering. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be let yes, let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So basically what James does, and here's a good thing about today's message, he basically takes, and you're going to see this in just a minute, he takes the first four chapters of intense butt-kicking, and he boils them down into 12 verses. And he basically pigeonholes us into one of two groups. He pigeonholes us into a group of people that need to be warned. Hey, buddy, listen up. You got serious problems. And then he also has another group for those of us who have been encouraged by what we see. For those of you that have read this and you see evidence of God's working and evidence of the implanted word of God in your life, be steadfast. Endure. Keep going. You're doing good. So there's something for everyone. And whether you like it or not, there is, no, there is no verse in between that you might fall into. You either fall into verses 1 through 6, or you fall into verse 7 through 12. Bottom line. And so what I decided to do today is I decided to break these down into two points. Something for those that need a warning, and something for those that need encouragement. And I'm going to go through and I'm going to show you how in just this short span he takes the concepts in verses, or chapters 1 through 4 and boils them down into six verses on each side. Pretty amazing, actually. This is like a whole big James sandwich. First of all, for something for those that need warning. First of all, your possessions won't help you. And he says that in verse 1 through 3. He talks about the fact that uh, miseries are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. <clears throat> your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh. You have laid up treasure in the last days. See, what James is describing is a future, it's kind of like a grammar class now. It's a future indicative condition, which means is he is declaring what the future is right now for you if you need a warning. And that is this. Your riches are moth-eaten and corrupt, and they are evidence against you. As a matter of fact... We see this in the passage in James chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich boast in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. What does he say in, verse, in verses of 1 through 3? He says, The things you have are just going to be corroded. They're going to be moth-eaten. They're not going to last. And that's what he taught us in chapter 1. 
All the things that you have are like a flower of the grass that will fade away. And what does he mean that the lo- let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation? Here's what he means. You should not boast in your times of victory. You should embrace your times of sorrow. Why? Because he said in chapter 1, count it a joy when you fall in difficult temptations and trials because the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. And so the first thing that he makes sure that you understand is if you're one in that group that needs a warning is this, your possessions ain't going to help. Your success on the earth will not help. That is not what is going to give you the faith that saves. The second thing he warns against is mistreating the poor instead of caring for them. In verse 4, he says this, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, and you kept them back by fraud. They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Remember what he said in chapter 1? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans in their affliction and the widows. Remember that? And then he said also in chapter 2, verse 6, Behold, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? He just described oppression, did he not, by the rich? In verse 4, you hold back the wages by fraud. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So his warning to the first group of people that need a warning, the first one is possessions won't help you, and the second one is you've mistreated the poor. Because if you have true religion, if the implanted word of God has really saved your soul, what begins to happen is you think of others as better than yourself, and you find this insatiable desire to reach out in love and compassion to those who are lacking. He made it very clear in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But yet there's another warning. It's a life of fulfilling lust. He says in verse 5, it's pretty harsh. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of the slaughter. What does he mean by fattens your hearts in the day of the slaughter? I mean, you know, when a, when a rancher is getting ready to butcher a cow, he doesn't put it on a diet. Oh, I'm going to, you know, butcher this cow for meat. I've got to put him on Atkins. How would that work for a cow, Atkins? Meat only, just... Sorry. Random thought. Um, Turkey bacon. Maybe that would help. Turkey bacon. (laughs) Inside joke. Um, All right. It's a life of fulfilling lust. And here's what he says in James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is at odds with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, whoever loves the things of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So another warning that he gives to that first group is this. Listen, guys, if your life is fulfilling one lust after another, one desire after another, all the things you want, you're fatting your heart before the day of the slaughter, you are at odds with God because you have fallen in love with the world. 
You love the things of this temporal world. The things, by the way, he says in verse 1, are moth-eaten and corrupt and corroding and are an evidence against you. It all flows together. So we have this life of fulfilling lust. It's an echo of chapter 4, verse 4. You can't be friends of the world and a friend of God. Then the last warning, warring and fighting with the righteous. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Maybe you remember this lesson. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You see how that works? It's all one big flow. And what James is telling us is, if you have heard the things that I've shared with you in chapters 1 through 4, here's the warnings, just in case you forgot. Your possessions won't help you. You've mistreated the poor. You don't care about the widows and the orphans, who I explained to you a few weeks ago at that time were the lowest of the low in society. Nobody was more poor, more downtrodden, and more taken advantage of than orphans. And until the church came along and began to build orphanages, there was no such thing. Then you have this life that's full of lust. You can't be a friend of the world and love the world and also love God. And then he says, you war and you fight and you persecute the righteous. Why? Because you have one thing and one thing only. It's what you want. And I explained to you in that passage a few weeks ago, that can even be things that appear religious. It's not just about Mercedes Benz's and couches and big screen TVs. It's about agendas, likes and dislikes. I mentioned to you about how I've seen fights in the church over the color of carpet, whether it should be an organ or a guitar, whether there's a cross on the stage or where there isn't. I've seen all kinds of discussions about that. And it's people warring against one another. Why? Because they want to consume it upon their lust. Even if it looks religious, it's still lustful. Because it's born just like all the rest of these things, out of arrogance. All these things are examples of living a life of arrogance and me first and judgmental attitude and selfishness where you don't assume that others are better than yourself. And so this is the first group that he's talking to are those of you who honk your horn every 30 seconds on Tamiami Trail. So that's rough. And so if you've been in a situation in the course of these several weeks that we've been talking about James, that, okay, you keep getting one check after another against you. Okay, I don't like that one. Maybe this first half of the passage is for you. On the other hand, something for those who need encouragement. Maybe the book of James, while it's been harsh, has helped you. And maybe it's encouraged you to see that, yes, I've gone through trials, I've gone through testing, and my faith is real. There's things in my life that show that I have this relationship with God. Let's look at some of these really quick. Trials, stability, the implanted word of God, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You have also, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Remember chapter 1 of James? Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, stability. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know what he uses here? He uses farming words. He says the farmer should wait for the fruits to rise up. You know, he also used farming words when he talked about what? The implanted word of God. That's a farming sandwich. You see that? James is a pretty good writer. He uses farming words in chapter 5 and he uses farming words in chapter 1 about the implanted word of God. So he says just like a farmer waits for the fruits, the former and latter rains, the trials, the testing, be steadfast. That's chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. And then in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, under the late and early rains. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, salvation, which God has promised to those who love him, but not the world. You got that? Chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, overflow of wickedness. We've talked about that. And receive with meekness the implanted, a farming word, the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. And so what James gives us as an encouragement is this. If you've seen evidence that the farmer has implanted the word of God in your life, embrace the stability embrace the steadfastness and endure because as the rains come, the trials and the temptations, the fruit will rise up. And the farmer doesn't go in there after one rain and say, oh, there's no fruit, forget it, I'm done. The farmer says, I got to wait for the first rains and the late rains. Let the crops go through all the tough weather so they can produce their fruit. So James is telling you, hey, if you've got the word of faith or the word of God implanted in your heart and you've got faith, Endure. It's working. The next encouragement. Don't grumble. Don't try to be the judge. Remember in chapter 2 we talked about you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In chapter 4 verse 12 he says there is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In verse 9 of this chapter, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may, be, may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do you guys remember the lesson I taught you a couple weeks ago is this. How arrogant of us to think that we can judge. The judge is sitting right here. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. And so the encouragement is this. As you continue with your steadfastness, as the trial continues to come, as your faith continues to grow and get stronger, as you endure the trials and temptation, don't grumble against one another and don't be a judge because the judge is standing at the door right around the corner. Be humble. Be broken. And then he talks about stability again in verses 10 and 11. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider the, them blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In the future, we're going to do a big series on the book of Job. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the book of Job. Job wasn't patient. Actually, if you read it, Job was pretty impatient. Job got really frustrated pretty fast. 
It was God through his implanted word of truth in Job that remained steadfast. And because of that, Job was able to endure the trials. That's why he says in the passage, remember Job and his steadfastness and the mercy and grace of God? And so there's this stability. Even if you went through something as bad as Job, if the implanted word of God is in your life, if you've been truly given the gift of faith, guess what? You will be steadfast. You will be stable. You will not be double-minded. If any of you lacks wisdom, this was in chapter um, 1, verses 5 through 8. He goes back again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men generously. And you guys remember the picture I gave you, right? Where God is sitting on the edge of his seat. All he wants you to do is just ask. He's saying, please ask me for wisdom. Please be humble and broken enough to recognize that you need wisdom. And he's sitting here and right before we can even get out of our mouth, yes, you can have the wisdom. Boom. And he douses you with it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without any holding back. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed around by the wind. For every person must not suppose that he could receive anything from the Lord if he asked in doubting. Because he is a double-minded man. And he, unlike what a child of God is, is stable. The double-minded man is unstable. So James is telling you, encouraging you, embrace that stability. And the last encouragement. Your trust is in nothing other than God. There's a lot of misperception about what this passage says here at the end. He says, but above all, my brothers, here's what he says. The most important thing, the most important thing. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you may fall under condemnation. Somehow we've gotten the idea this passage means make sure you say things in the right order. That's the mo- Of all the things I've taught you, brothers and sisters, about brokenness and humility and steadfastness and the implanted word of God, make sure you say things in the right order. Don't say, I swear I'm going to do, don't, don't do that. That's not what James is saying there. When he says, don't swear by anything else, he says, don't trust in anything else. Don't put your faith in anything else. Don't put your confidence in anything else on the earth. Don't be a friend of the world and an enemy of God. Only have confidence in one thing. The implanted word of God which is able to what? Save your souls. What's the passage that he's referring to again? Verse, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Don't put your confidence in your plans. Don't swear by those things. What is your life? You are just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so your trust, he says, make sure you're not distracted by your own plans or by the things in the world that you think can be successful. Don't swear by anything under the earth. Yet your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Have confidence in the implanted Word of God. So what do we do with all this? There's a little something for everyone, isn't there? Maybe you find yourself on both sides of this passage. I'm doing okay there, not there. 
doing okay there, not there. What do we do with this? What's our response? Next week is going to be the penultimate response to this whole book of James. I'm so excited about what it can do for our church. I think it's going to change the way we interact with one another. What's been the key all through the book of James? You got to have brokenness. You got to have humility. You got to be humble. You got to receive with meekness what? The implanted word of God which is able to? Yes. Save your souls. We've got to come up with a structure that allows us to be broken and humble on a regular basis, not in a churchy, fake, religious sort of way, but in a way that really says, my God, I need you. So where are you today? No matter who you are, one of those outlines applies to you. Which part of the passage today is the Spirit of God telling you is yours? Did you hear warning? Or did you hear encouragement? See, I trust the Word of God to tell you what you need. It's not my job. After learning today's passage, are you comforted or convicted? What is the implanted Word of God telling you? I'm really encouraged with the feedback that we've been receiving about what's going on here in the garden service. I've been doing ministry for a long time, and I can tell you, I firmly believe that we are on the verge of some really incredible stuff. When it comes to what God... That's right. It is. It's cool. You can say it. Woo! All right. Thanks, guys. Turkey bacon. That's right. Guys, there's one thing holding us back. We got to have regular brokenness and regular humility. One of the worst things that could happen is we could have some success and then we get arrogant and religious. True religion is what? To visit the orphans and the widows, the lowly and the downtrodden. Heavenly Dad, I just pray that as a congregation, we would continue to roll in this idea of brokenness or humility. I pray, God, you would help us to enjoy the opportunities to be broken before you. Next week, as we look into the final passage of James, help us to embrace brokenness that can heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. We, la- we, got, we ran a little bit behind schedule, guys, today because of the thing, so we don't have time for a closing song because they've got people coming in. So I'm going to dismiss you here now today.